evening. Can we give him a hand, please? Why aren't we in a rowdy mood tonight? Dear me, I thought Becky did so well with all the woo-woo-woos. If you've got your Bible with you, why don't you turn to the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, we're going to get straight in there in chapter 4. We're actually going to be looking at three completely different passages tonight, uh, but that's the first one we're going to start with. Um, I don't know if, if, if you are here for the first time or if you haven't been around for a couple of weeks. Uh, Paul Mann, who's the uh, lead elder of the church, is on holiday today, but he finished our preach series last week on the Ephesians. Uh, and he was talking particularly last week on the armor of God, what it was to equip ourselves with the armor of God. Uh, and uh, one of the things that you spoke about was this whole idea of faith, shield of faith. As if you remember, he was talking about how the Romans, they used to kind of douse their shields in water to prevent the flames of the enemy. Um, and it was just something that's kind of been living with me this week, and it's something I want to kind of, if I can, put a bit more kind of meat to the bones, if you like, because he didn't have huge amounts of time to talk about that particularly. So that's what I want to do tonight. Um, and I think faith actually is the very heart, at the very heart of Christianity. Faith is at the very heart of Christianity. It says in the Bible that we're saved by faith. So it's not about who you like or what your background is. It's not about how hard you try. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by faith. And once we're saved by faith, it's not that we've got to try and live a really good life. It's not that we have to try really hard, but we, on, we, we go living by faith as well. So we're saved by faith, but we continue living by faith. And uh, I think that all across the Bible, you can see how faith is a key ingredient to releasing and unlocking the blessing of God in lots of different situations. Right? So these are just a few reasons why faith is important. I think faith is the platform by which trials and temptations and hardships and persecution can be endured. And I think actually faith is often the foundation by which the promises, blessing, inheritance, adoption, and purpose is received. All right? So faith is really, really important. It's critical. And from the very front to the back of your Bible, it models and it basically demonstrates lots of men and women that have lived out in obedience lives of faith. So Tuesday morning this week, I had this whole thing of faith in my mind and what Paul was talking about, the shield of faith. And I read a few scriptures, and we're going to read them now. Just a few things that caught my attention. Okay, So... Matthew 4, verses 23 to 24. We're just going to look at three different scriptures. And he went down throughout Galilee. All right, so this is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. These are three encounters with Jesus. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all. Could you just imagine living in a town when Jesus turns up, and it says that Jesus healed all of their sick? It'd be like, man, go and call James, because James has got a bad back. I think Jesus can heal him. And go and get Peter, he's an epileptic, and I think Jesus can heal him. And it says that Jesus healed them all. So if you're a doctor in the town, you're on forced annual leave, there is nothing for you to do. Hospitals are empty, doctors are empty, Jesus healed them all. Absolutely amazing. Bonkers. Okay, let's move forward a bit. Matthew chapter 8. Another encounter with Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 10. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. 
Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and I'll heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus marvels at what? His faith. All right, so in that first story, we have they, the collective people, gathering the sick so Jesus can heal them. And in this story, you have a man. He says, all you need to do is say a word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels at his faith. Okay, one last passage. So these are all things that I just kind of quickly came across on Tuesday, and something struck a chord with me, and it's this, right? Mark chapter 6. So if you go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, and it's there up on the screen. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So up to this point, it sounds quite similar to the other stories. Wow, who is this guy? And what are these things that he does? And then it says this, is not this the carpenter? He's, he's the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, right? And not, not his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he his, laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, and there's that word again, and he marveled because of their what? Their unbelief. And something really hit me. Here we have two different occasions. There's three occasions, three occasions of faith. One collectively, one of a guy just says, just say a word. And there's this other occasion. So Jesus marvels at two things. He marvels at a guy's faith, and he also marvels at the level of unbelief. And there's a couple of things that struck me immediately. Firstly, the fact that Jesus marvels. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. So Jesus, we, we know that Jesus has emotions. We know that he got angry at the temple. We know he grieved when Lazarus died. We know that he gets hungry. We know he has all these different emotions, but I've never really thought about Jesus marveling. It's almost as though he's even surprised or taken back by the level of faith or the level of unbelief of these people. And the second thing that strikes me is here we have the same Jesus, the same God, the same authority, the same power, the same willingness even to bless. Yet on one side, we have a faith of a man who says, just say the word. 
and he'll be healed. And on the other, we have a level of unbelief that prevents even the creator almighty God of the universe from being able to bless. Just think about that. A level of unbelief that even stops the creator God of the universe to being able to change a situation. Why? Because of their unbelief. And maybe here, more than in any other scripture, I think, actually, is this direct correlation between faith and receiving a promise, or unbelief and missing out on the blessing of God. And I think that one of the devil's number one priorities for each and every one of us is to try and get you to drop your shield of faith. It's to try and, try and distract you and try and almost, where, where is my shield of faith? If he can get you to lose or drop your shield of faith, he can get lies into you that almost you can start thinking about a God that doesn't exist and you can start believing things about yourself that aren't true. That's one of the attacks of the devil. So tonight, what I'm going to do is just quickly share three tactics that the enemy are going to try and lower this shield of faith and damage our faith. And then we're going to very briefly look at three ways that we can strengthen our faith. Okay, you with me? Okay, so three things. Thanks, Iris. Okay, three common attacks on our faith. And the first one is this. And it's the whole area of disappointment. Disappointment. Disappointment directly attacks faith. I think it was Bill Johnson, um, or one of these guys, that came along to the UK... And when he went home, he said, I think for the, for the British Christian, for the British Christian, there's probably one obstacle. The biggest obstacle to faith is probably disappointment. Disappointment. And it's almost sometimes as though we can do this. We can, we're, we're here, and it's almost like, kind of like the white elephant in the room. Right? You know that expression we have, it, the elephant in the room which might be some issues, something that's happened or something about a God that we don't understand and it's disappointment. And in our head we can understand, well, the Bible says that God is good. And when we come to worship like we did tonight, it's almost like we kind of skirt around the edges a little bit and we come to this place and we sing songs, yeah, you're a good, good father. But we try and skirt around the edges and we avoid the root issue, which actually, if we're honest, has robbed us of faith or gives us a misunderstanding of what I'm not quite sure how in practice that works when I don't, I don't really understand this situation or this issue. And we can avoid and we can skirt around the edges. You prayed about it. You trusted God about it. Talked to others about it. And seemingly in that situation, God was just a no-show. And these thoughts that sometimes might come to you, God doesn't really seem to care about my financial situation. Well, man, I've, I've been praying for years for health, and I, it just hasn't come. I thought I'd be used for God, man. I had so many dreams and ambitions and plans. It's just like, well, what, what opportunities are there for me? Man, I've prayed for salvation for my non-Christian husband for so many years, and he's, he just still doesn't quite get it. He just doesn't seem to be interested. So much disappointment. And the enemy loves it when we have the elephant in the room, those things that we're just not willing to talk to God about. Those things that we just kind of avoid in conversation with him. And the enemy loves it when there can be a disconnect between what we know and what we say and actually what's going on in our heart. Yeah, everything's fine. It's all fine. But in reality, there is something in here which is pulling and robbing us of our faith and understanding of Christ and who he is. 
I mean, many of you know, well, for those that don't know, me and my wife, Louise, we've got two beautiful girls. They're lovely girls. But they've been, both of them have struggled with certain kind of digestion issues. And I don't want to hype it up to something that it's not. It's, it's, it's not serious in that sense that it's, we don't think it's a long-term thing. We don't think it'll be something with them for the whole of their life. But it's been something which has caused a lot of pain for us and a lot of questions for us, I've got to be honest. And this whole issue of disappointment is something which has come up in probably the last three and a half years, but particularly the last six to eight months, because for three and a half years, me and Louise and our family and lots of you guys have been standing with us and we've been praying for healing for the girls, and we still haven't seen it happen in the way that we hope. And it brings about, if we're not careful, a sense of disappointment. I remember one particular time, actually, one night, just kind of bearing all. Um, I, was, I was probably there trying to comfort her for two, three, four hours. And in the early hours of the morning, with her screaming still, I got to the point, I was like, God, I, I, I need to keep praying. And then I said, I even said it out loud, I'm not quite sure if there's any point in praying anymore because nothing's going to change. Disappointment. And you see, when we live with disappointment, we won't expect too much, just in case. It's almost like a defense mechanism. And if I don't ask, I don't need to feel rejected. Or if I don't ask, then I'm, I'm not necessarily going to get the answer that I don't want. And in fact, when we live with disappointment, we won't encourage others around us to expect too much either, just in case. And it robs us of faith. You see, the problem with this is that you probably won't see very much. When we start pursuing God, when we start asking God for things, actually, the reality is the Bible says, actually, you, you probably won't see that much. And now, I, d I don't understand all the whys. And I, I want to be honest with you. There, there are so many people in this room that I know are really struggling with different issues of disappointment. And the question is always, I don't understand why. No, I don't understand either. But what I've learned is that I can't afford for disappointment to become a barrier of unbelief that prevents me from receiving any of the blessings of God because I don't understand. And that is one of the main things that the devil will try to do. He takes your focus off God and he puts your focus on the things that we don't understand. And the Bible is very clear that sometimes we don't understand these things, but our eyes, we need to try and fix our eyes on him, the God of all comfort and the God who does pour out blessing upon blessing. If I just say, believe, believing God can and believing or expecting him to are two very different perspectives when it comes to faith. So let me just ask you a question on that. Has disappointment led you to a place where you've simply just stopped asking God for stuff? You, you dealt with disappointment, but you haven't dealt with it in a way which means actually you still don't ask God for things because you're just worried about what the outcome will be. Is that you tonight? And you know, it's not just things with like sickness and provision. Those are the obvious ones, maybe. But actually, I think sometimes it's the opportunities that are given to us or the positions that we're given or are in. You want to do great exploits for God or you've had so many dreams and plans to change the world and just none of it's really come about and you've just been disappointed. So many of us can make comparisons to other people and the opportunities that they have or the giftings that they have. We can all do it. 
And instead of celebrating the blessing that someone else, is ha else has, actually what you can do, you can end up resenting it. Because you, you're hoping for that blessing yourself. And you're disappointed. Put simply, you've been offended by the blessing elsewhere, or the healing elsewhere, the provision elsewhere. And this is kind of one of the journeys that I've been on over the last kind of six to eight months, like I said, about this whole thing of disappointment. God, I don't understand why. And it's painful. So here's just a few things that I've been doing to work through disappointment with Lou over these last six or eight months. And I think firstly what we need to do, and when I read through Psalms, I see this over and over and over again. David deals with the elephant in the room. He doesn't skirt around the edges and avoid the issue. He deals with the elephant in the room. And he talks to God about it. And these are some of the things that we hear. Why do evil prosper? How long will you leave me here? Answer me. Do not stay silent. Take my life now, for it would be better that I die. David brings his disappointment. He brings his emotions and his feelings and the situations directly to God. And that's one of the things that we've been trying to do in our family, is just saying, God, we don't understand why, but we talk to God about it, and we share our feelings and what's going on. And once we've been honest with God, the next thing we try and do is just try and declare truth over the situation. Because often we're disappointed. What's happened is that actually I'm starting to believe lie after lie after lie. And actually what I need to do is realign my thinking to what is true. So actually, God, you, you are the creator of the universe, and you do know each and every part of me, and you know my days. And it says in the Bible that you are faithful. So I do believe, God, that you are faithful. And it doesn't mean I don't have questions. It, means that I, it doesn't mean that I don't have pain and hurt, but through my pain and hurt, I still want to believe that you are king above all kings and living on the, flag, on the throne. So we need to start declaring truth. And then the third thing we've tried to do and are doing, and this is probably the most painful one, but it's actually laying down my right to understand and I don't think this is a cultural thing. I think this is just a human thing. We just want to know the answers. I think I have a right to know. And actually with God, that's just not the deal. There's a certain amount of things that I just won't ever understand. And actually laying down my right to know is one of those painful things that we've tried to work through in order for us to deal with the disappointment. And the last thing is trying to live a life unoffended by God. Because as soon as you're offended by the way that God does things or the way that things are turned out for you, you end up, you're, you're, before long, your, your faith is just robbed from you. It's just gone from you. Because all you're doing is living in disappointment and you're offended by the way that God does things. So there's four things. So that's, so that's kind of the first area, disappointment. All right? So that might affect some of us. It certainly is affecting us at the moment in terms of home and what we're dealing with. It's quite painful. The second one, the second one is this whole area of fear. And again, this is another thing that we can all battle with. I can battle with it. And actually, for me, probably it's, it's closely linked to pride. All right? It's really closely linked to things like fear of man, fear of rejection, wanting the need for approval. And for each and every one of us, fear comes in all different shapes and sizes for each and every one of us. It will affect us in different ways. But it's always the same in this. Fear is faith rooted in something. Biblical faith is trust rooted in someone. All right, let me say that again. So fear 
is when you're reliant and when you have faith in rooted in something. But when we're talking about biblical faith, there's always the trust that is rooted in someone, and that's God. That's where faith comes. So all, all fear is faith that is rooted in the wrong reality. So here's a few things that fear might say, but faith might say. Okay, So this is, here's some lies, and then here are what the Bible would say the truth about those situations. So fear would say, what will people think if I step out and share the gospel in that way? That's what fear says. Faith says, God is pleased when I'm obedient to him. Fear says, I could never do that. Faith says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Fear says, I need to keep performing and doing really well to be accepted by everyone else. Whereas faith says, God accepts me before I even got up on this platform tonight. Before you go to work, before you even a word even goes out of your mouth, God accepts you. That's what faith says. Fear says, I need to be in control of every area of my life. I need to have a hand on it. I need to know what's going on. Faith says, actually, I can trust him. And I can put my faith in him knowing that actually all things will work out for good. There is nothing that surprises him or will shock him. Actually, he's got a hand on all my days. Fear says, but what if I die? What if I die? Faith says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. You see, faith actually is all about who your daddy is. Faith is all about who your daddy is. In fact, it's only because God is faithful that we can exercise true faith. It's, it's not possible for us, uh, us to exercise faith if God wasn't faithful. It's like the reverse of the same coin. Does that make sense? So it's only because God is faithful that we can exercise faith in him. And fear is always an indication, if you like, of what we're truly believing in our heart. We might say all the right things, but the reality, if these are some of the things that you might ask yourself, um, say to yourself, let me just ask a question. Does God love me? Can, can I really trust him with that thing? Is he really in control? I know they say that he's really pleased with me, but I really don't know if he is. All of those things are lies based around fear. There's this interesting moment in um, the Gospels where Jesus and his mates, Jesus and the disciples, they're on a boat, and they come into a storm, a gale. And it's not just a light storm. It gets to a point where they think they're going to die. And here's Jesus sleeping downstairs in the boat, in the hull of the boat. And here is where you see almost what's in their heart. So they know how to say the right things. But when they wake up Jesus, it's really interesting what they say. And it's, it's completely surrounded in fear. They say this. Do you not care that we are perishing? And the interesting part about that sentence isn't the perishing bit. The question that lots of people ask is, does he not care? 
does he not care? I was uh, reading this guy, Rick Warren. He, um, he wrote this. He said, Oysters tenaciously attached to a rock larger than themselves. There, no punishing wave or violent storm can sweep them away. And you know, that's what we do with Christ. When it comes to faith on his faithfulness, what we do, and we are attaching ourselves to a rock which is far bigger than ourselves. And no sweep of a wave, no storm can take us away. Why? Because he's not going anywhere. Because it says he's the firm foundation. He's the solid rock. I've soon learned that Rick Warren was wrong in that oysters don't actually cling to rocks at all. So you use whatever you like. Could be a clams don't either, so it could be whatever you want. But anyway, limp it or whatever. All right? Cling to a rock. You get the idea. Okay, anyway. Faith is not about trying really hard, but you know what? It's about following really closely. Okay, so these are things about fear. And we need to receive the love of the Father because it says, receive the love of the Father, love casts out all fear, okay? So there's just a few things about fear. Fear can rob us of our faith, okay? And what we need to do is put our faith in Christ and not in the things that rob us of it. Okay, the third thing, the third area that we'll find that will rob our faith is offense. Is offense. During my teacher training days, uh, when I was training to be um, a teacher, um, I heard a lovely story about um, a little girl. She was about six or seven years old, and one day in her primary school, she was just drawing picture after picture after picture after picture. And the teacher was just really interested because the girl never engaged in art at all. She just wasn't interested in art. But today, there was something different, and she was just drawing picture after picture. So he, he went over to her, interested, and said, wow, what, what is it that you're drawing? And she said, I'm drawing pictures of God. And he went, oh, wow. The thing is, no one really knows what God looks like, he said. And she stopped and she looked up at him and said, they will in a minute. <laughs> True story. And, and I love that story because I think it shows two things. The first thing is that children are willing to give it a go, aren't they? Children are willing to give it a go. They're not scared of taking risks. They're not put off by the pundits to say, but you don't really know. Or you can't really do that. But the second thing that I think it illustrates is that as we grow up, we're at risk of putting on lenses of unbelief. And they're often things like cynicism. They're often things like sarcasm. And I don't think these things you find in little kids, do you? I mean, my three-year-old Bethan, she is not cynical. She's not pessimistic. She's not sarcastic. In fact, I think I could probably tell her anything and she'll believe me. And I think there's something about that. When Jesus says, you've got to be like little children, I think the risk for us as we get older is that in terms of unbelief and in terms of being offended by God and the way he does things, often we can just have lenses of cynicism and sarcasm and all these different things which lead us to being robbed of faith and the blessing that God has for us. Were they really healed? Have they, have they got like a doctor's thing to prove it? It was only a headache. It would have gone by 12 o'clock anyway, wouldn't it? A, a glory cloud. Really? 
angels. <laughs> and you know, it was, it was when I went to Bethel with Brian a few years ago, I thought I went with an open mind until I got there. And I met some of the people there and some of the stories and some of the things I was seeing. And God really challenged me about having a cynical spirit. Because it seemed that God was moving and doing things there that just weren't within my framework of thinking. And actually, I found that I was getting offended by God. Because God was doing things in, in people in, in places that I just thought I'd, I probably wouldn't have done it that way. And there are these lenses of cynicism. And I'm, I'm not talking about forgetting discernment, by the way. But I did feel that God said to me that I was missing out on a good portion of his blessing because I didn't honor the blessing that was happening in other people's lives simply because it looked different to the way that I would have blessed people. And you know, I'm so glad that God is God and he blesses people the way that God does. I was offended. There's just a few things that I've learned about being offended by God's methods and trying to deal with it. I've learned that celebrating God's move today can be the key to unlocking his blessing tomorrow. And what I've found is that a lack of celebration in what God is doing can actually lead to a life of cynicism and doubt and unbelief. If I'm not actively growing in a lifestyle of celebrating what God is doing, I will passively be developing a lifestyle of cyn cynicism. That's what happens. Faith is raised through appropriately celebrating the blessings of today. You know, your testimony is powerful. Your story is powerful. And when it's shared, it raises faith in the people around you. And those testimonies that you have, they deserve a response. And it's not that. It's not that. It's not a little golf clap. So let me just quickly ask you a question. When you hear something that God is doing maybe somewhere else or in someone else, is your initial thought, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, or is it, oh, really? That really happened? And actually, it's not just, I said it this morning, it's not actually just about things that are happening in this church. Actually, for many of us, it's about what's happening in other streams or other churches or other nations. Sometimes you find yourself saying, like, oh, are, they, are they a New Frontiers church? Oh, they're not. Ooh, okay. It's, we've got to be so careful. Because God works in all different places and in all different ways. And we want to be open to that. There is a place for discernment, but there's no box which God will confine himself to. We want God in his entirety, don't we? So there's three things that might rob you of your faith. Right, two minutes, I'm going to pray. So where you are, why don't you just close your eyes. Let's just very quickly just ask God to bring things to mind that we need to deal with. And you know what, when I say deal with, they're not going to be gone right now. They're not issues that you say, oh, fantastic, a two-minute prayer, that's brilliant. These are things we've got to work through, things that you might have to talk to people about. But I do just want to ask God to just highlight certain things in terms of disappointment, fear, and offense that God might want to deal with us with, okay? So I'm just going to give you a moment. Why don't you do what David does in the Psalms? Why don't you just tell God how you feel? Just for a minute, just say, God, this is the elephant in the room. This is the issue for me, which means that I struggle with my faith or I doubt your goodness. This is it. You just tell God about that right now and then I'll pray.
Father, I pray for every hurting heart in here tonight. Lord, I pray for every person who is sick of just disappointment. I pray for every person who lives under a like an umbrella of fear everywhere they go. And Lord, many of us who get offended about the way you choose to go about and do things, Lord, we say we also just want to repent. We want to say, we want to say we're sorry for where we have doubted your blessings elsewhere. And Lord, we just invite God of all comfort to come right now. Thank you that you love to restore. Thank you that you love to heal broken minds. I pray that you'd help us to continue to build us up in your truth on who you are, on who we are, and on what we carry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, right, three very quick things that will strengthen our faith, and then what we're going to do, we're going to break bread together. So these literally just five minutes, I'm just going to quickly throw out you just three things that to kind of counteract some of these things we've been looking at tonight. Three things that I think will strengthen you. The first one is this. You've got to know who God really is. You've got to know who God is. Not what the enemy say God is. Not what you presume to think God is like. But we've got to look at the word of God. And we've got to say, right, I want to know and I want to learn who, what God is really like. You know, if I'm honest in the past, I've never had a problem with believing God's ability to be good. At times, if I'm honest, there have been times where I've somehow believed lies on God's willingness to be good. So this is some of the reasons why we need to look at the Bible and just say, well, what does it say about God? Well, here's a few things. Psalm 147.5 says this, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Psalm 103.8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Psalm 52, 8, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. Romans 8, 38, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to do what? Separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've got to know who God is. We've got to know the cost and how much he loves you. And you know, God has so many different titles. The Bible says lots about who God is. He's creator, he's healer, he's judge, he's provider, lamb, almighty, prince of peace. But do you know what? There is one thing that you can call him that no one else can, and that is Abba Father. He's your daddy. And you can go to any number of people on the street, so you know what, they, they, they will not have the right to call him that title, but you are his son and his daughter. He is your father. That is who he is. Let me encourage you more and more. When you go to speak to God, when you go to talk to him about the things, go and talk to him as daddy. Go and talk to him as daddy. So that's the first one, know who God is. The other, the, other, the other day in the Alpha thing, Sam was saying that he's, he got to the end of Alpha and he kind of, these words just came out of his mouth. He said, 
I think actually the whole Bible, all it is, is basically a story how God wants his kids back. God just wants his kids back. And I think he's so right. If you want to know who God is, primarily he's a dad. He's a father that wants his kids back. He wants you to come in close and he wants to bless you. Second thing, know who you are. So when you understand how God is Father and he's all these wonderful things, actually, well, that means that therefore you are a son. You are a daughter. You have been adopted into his family. We are first and foremost children of God. And in 1 John it says, and that is who you are. Children of God. Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us for works of service, slavery, servanthood, no, he adopted us, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And it doesn't take away God's responsibilities or his titles or his power. He's still omniscient, he's still omnipotent, but you know what? He is, first and foremost to us, a father, and we are his children. So we are, first and foremost, children of God. The other thing is, you know, God is actually pleased with you. I think there's a few people here probably think, I just... Alid, if you really knew what I was like and what I've done, I think you would disagree. No, the Bible says that you are his pleasure. You were the pleasure before him when he died on that that cross. The thing that he was setting his mind on was time with you. Time with his kids. He takes such pleasure in you. Sometimes with Bethan, my oldest one, I just love to, she kind of sits on my, on my lap or I just say, Bethan, come here, I've got a secret to tell you. And she comes over and most of the things I say are just silly stuff. They're things like, you know, daddy loves you so much, his head's going to pop off. I love just whispering and telling her who she is and what she's like and how much I love her, how beautiful she is. Our identity isn't based on what we do and what Jesus did. It's interesting how Jesus actually received his identity and had a firm understanding of his identity before he even did ministry. He knew who he was. And before anything that we can do, whether it be secular life out there or whether it be anything within these four walls in here, you know what? You are accepted before God. That is who you are before you do anything else. When was the last time that you thanked God for you being you? Because do you know what? God wouldn't want to change anything about you. When was the last time you said, God, I want to thank you that you've made me the way that I am and there is value in that and you take delight and pleasure in that? We don't want to agree with the enemy because the Bible says that we now have a brand new identity in Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Father God. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are holy and dearly loved. We're without blemish and free from accusation. And you know what? We all play a significant role in the purposes of God on the earth. That is who you are. That's what the Bible teaches. And the last thing, know what you carry. Know what you carry. So I think I've, I've maybe mentioned this before, but when I first came on staff three years ago, um, San just very casually, just kind of in the corridor, just said, oh, and Ali, just by the way, just so you know, I'm a pretty big deal around here. 
And you know what? He was right. Not just because of who San is, although we'll miss him. The reality is what he carries is hugely significant wherever he goes. And we need to understand not only who God is and who we are, but in knowing who we are, actually, we carry something as children of God which can have a huge impact on anywhere we go and everywhere we see. It's massive. The odds change as soon as you are in the picture. So when you get on the bus, the odds of blessing on that bus goes up tenfold. Why? Because you're there. The Spirit of God is there in that place. The same ability for Jesus to go and heal and do different things, that same power that was in Jesus, even when it raised him from the dead, is right in us. And that is what we carry. You know, when your identity is in your performance, you'll find you only do what you know you can do well. Whereas when your identity is on who you are, you can do amazing exploits with God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you. When your value comes from what God says about you, and what Jesus has paid for you, performing is no longer the baton that you carry with you. What you carry now is the power of relationship. The power of adoption of sons and daughters. You now carry with you a different name. Did you know that your name has changed? You now carry with you a different birth certificate. You've been reborn into something which is completely different. And do you know what? Just on one last thing on this. Success for God is measured in a completely different way to us. Our success might look like, man, were they healed? Did they respond? Did we raise enough money? But you see, for God, God's best outcome is, are you obedient? That's God's best outcome. Are you obedient to what you're doing? And it's a, it's a whole lot more fun when you live a life which is measured by God's success and not ours. People who live under the lie that their identity and the power they carry is wrapped up in performance and the way that they do things well, they tend to be a bit uptight, actually, and less fun to be around. And we can all be that person, right? They look like they've sat on a cat. pressure is on them to perform and you know what we can all be that person we need to release those lies of where our identity come from we need to understand who God is who we are and what we carry it's not about what you are able to do it's about who you are now able to be amen why don't we just stand I went to um, a conference a couple of years back and with all the different things that God was speaking and challenging me on, I wrote down a paragraph of different bits, which are basically, Alid, don't forget these things. And I just want to quickly read it out, because these are things that are true of each and every one of us. And it's titled, A Reminder to Me. It's even printed out on my office wall. A Reminder to Me. When you walk into the room, the odds change. You set a platform for the God who is everywhere to turn up somewhere. You're a bit of a big deal around here because as you turn up, the odds of blessing for everyone around changes. You can hold the keys to someone else's breakthrough. 
God's measure of success is not in the outcome of you stepping out, but in your act of obedience. So they weren't healed. They didn't respond. It's still a win in God's eyes when you're obedient to him and step out. Jesus is the goal. Always was. Always will be. Don't forget that the church is a means to get more of him. Jesus' responsibility is to grow his church. Our responsibility is to extend his kingdom. When the going gets tough, the tough get praying. An alternative to trying really hard? Follow really closely. Father, I want to thank you that you are a good, good father. That's who you are. We're loved by you. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father who has pursued us, done everything possible and necessary to win us back. And I want to thank you that we are carrying something which is far bigger than ourselves, far bigger than our own abilities and our own identity and our own right. But actually, our new identity is that we now have you living right in us. And wherever we go, whatever situations we walk into, whatever people come across our paths, I want to thank you that change can come as a result of us being there. So Lord, I pray, would you strengthen our faith? Would you help us to dwell and think about the things above, the things of who you are and what you have purchased for us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know what we're going to do? Is we've gone over slightly, it's five past, but I do want to give us an opportunity to break bread together. And I think it's the reason I want to do that, even despite time, I think it's a really good way of firstly thanking God for what he's done and who we are and our new identity. But actually, for some of those first things that we were talking about in terms of disappointment, in terms of unbelief and fear, I think this is a really good way to say, Jesus, I know that your blood paid for all of these things. And these are things that just in a few minutes, we just maybe, Janelle, if you could just come up and play a bit of guitar for us. We won't sing any songs or anything, but it's just going to be an opportunity for you to just do a few minutes business with God, all right? It would, it would be awful if we just get in our car or the bus or taxi or whatever and just go home and forget about this moment. I think there's a moment where we just need to be obedient. I think what we need to do is just respond to God and just thank him for the cross, thank him for this relationship and this salvation, but also do a bit of business with God with some of these things. Is that okay? So Jeanette's going to play some guitar. So wherever these red balloons are, there's five of them around the room. There's bread and wine there. So if you're part of us or whether you're, if you're a